Bulls Gold is delivered to you via the Barroom Network, now in its seventh year of providing podcasts about Chicago sports, movies, and more. Make sure to subscribe to the Barroom Network for free and easy downloads of its programming. And visit its merchandising store at deepdishtees.com to purchase t-shirts, hoodies, and mugs. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Bulls Gold on the Barroom Network. I'm Salim Sutterwala, and as always, I'm joined by Edward Chula Jr. Hey, Ed, how is it going today? I'm doing all right. Um, it's been uh, <laughs> since the last time we recorded. Uh, it, it hasn't been great for the Bulls. I mean, we are coming off a win against Utah, but um, the last stretch of games before that were not good, to say the least. <laughs> and uh, I... I feel like I, I saw too much red last Friday as well. So um, I, <laughs> it's just, I don't know. Th- things have been just kind of off for in Bulls land. I think, like I said, we, we're, we're coming off a win against Utah, but it's Utah. But everything before then, I think, was just red flag after red flag after red flag. So I, I know we're going to get all into it. We're going to get into it in this uh, in this episode. But other than that, I'm, I'm good, man. How about you? Um, I'm good. I'm good. You know, it's funny the this the red you mentioned last Friday with the Nets game. Obviously, the Bulls. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, what do you call it? In in season tournament court. Uh, is it is it bad of me to say that the, my first thought when they when the jumbotron came on, the fire was going and everything looked like <laughs> red. And I was like, you know what? This is what Jerry Ryan's up is going to see when he dies. Am I terrible for thinking this is, that? This is wild, man. Look, see, we're, we're getting in a dark place now with Bulls. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nah, I, <laughs> I was like, I hate you. I hate you. No, like, <laughs> <laughs> no I mean, it was, it, it was just <laughs> not. I, I don't know about you, but I just, I, I know they were trying to try something different and I, and I applaud mm-hmm. them for that, but. And I, uh, I think it's like a lot of like I think they probably got some street ball influence from it with like the like color courts and stuff like that, but it just didn't look good. Like I there weren't there were maybe a few courts where I think it worked, but uh, most of the ones I saw, I just thought it looked really bad. Like it just I don't know. But no, yeah, yeah. I mean it was what it is. It's like I, I, I like the red. Um but it is kind of after a while, and actually, you know, some people said it kind of looks like a college court. Yeah, it, uh, it, yeah, it kind of does. Like, I, I don't know. I wasn't feeling it, and I mean, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how this tournament ends up shaking out. It to me, it, it it didn't feel any different from a normal game. It just had a a colored court. <laughs> it's just so. It's just right. Right. It's like that that SpongeBob right. episode um, with the uh, colored Krabby Patties. It just felt like that, but. <laughs> Same right, thing, right. Uh, but yeah, we we got some stuff to talk about. Obviously, we'll uh, talk about the Jazz win. Uh, since we recorded last, Pat has been coming off the bench. Mm. 
Uh, there's been obviously struggles of the big three still continuing, and then the uh, importance of uh, Caruso and with the big three, and again the whole Zach situation has been uh, quite bizarre. Some weird quotes back to back from him. I once from like Goodwill uh, article and Vincent Goodwill, ah, Vincent Goodwill article, and then another one with. Uh, Darnell Mayberry, he, he had some uh, rough post-game uh, quotes. But yeah, let's get all into that. And uh, joining us to discuss these topics is Elias Schuster. Schuster. Man, I can't talk right now. What is wrong with me? <laughs> oh, I can't ever talk, but that's just my tongue-tied all the time. Uh, who's the lead writer for Bleacher Nation, where he covers the Bulls. Elias, thanks for joining us. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well. Thank you guys for uh, for having me on. Uh, you know, I, I outside of the Bulls universe, doing well. Great, great time inside the Bulls universe. It's it's as you guys said. You know, it's troubling. It's a little depressing, but yeah. <laughs> uh, but I'm happy to be here. Thank you guys for having me on. It's always a, a joy to join you guys. Yeah, no doubt. It's uh, it's great to have you on. Um, hopefully, we can make sense of everything that's happening right now. Um, like like Celine said, there's so many things that have kind of like changed over the last week, and uh, some troubling things as well. Uh, but yeah, no, it, we're we're happy to have you uh, back on, man. Yeah, thanks so much. It's always uh, even though the team stinks, I always say it's it's good to it's still it's still fun to talk basketball. Yeah, we, I'll never I'll never <laughs> not enjoy that. Yeah, if if only the uh, the on court product could match <laughs> the, what we put into <laughs> what we put into the show and, yeah, and what the, the bulls community yeah right like and what the bulls community as a whole puts into all of us because man it's they bulls like bulls community they they deserve so much better than what we've been seeing man but yeah they have for a long time now mm-hmm. i mean it's been it's been uh it's it's been a long time of uh very mediocre basketball in chicago right. which is uh you know which is which is frustrating especially this is considering what this team used to be and and mm-hmm. uh obviously the 90s but uh watching you know i i always think about how there's been one eastern conference finals appearance in 25 years or whatever it's Oof. uh oh, it's man. just it's crazy to think about all these other teams that have have come and gone with different eras and and chicago can't seem to put together you know, one, uh, you know, one era of, of consistently competitive basketball. It's just, it's yeah. frustrating. Very sobering, <laughs> very sobering thought. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, for sure. Um, but I mean, at least they won last night. Oh, last night. <laughs> Larry Markinen, uh, Larry Markin is bizarre, right? He, he dominates the bulls, but always leaves with a loss. I think he's like one for five against the bulls so far in his, uh, short, uh, post Chicago tenure. But, yeah, last night's game was like one of those things where we hammer on about about their shooting being so important. We need to have volume shooting and good volume shooting. And obviously they shoot what 18 of 34 from three. So they're 50, 52% there. And a lot of what they did was from turn defense into offense and getting in on the break. They had that like 12 steals, uh, 30 fast break points. Uh, that was essentially how they really won that game. What were your thoughts like watching that game last night, Elias, and like your takeaways outside of those couple of things right there? Yeah, no, I I think for for me, you know, you touch I mean, what you touched on for this team. One thing I wrote a, a post that I wrote uh, earlier today on on Bleacher Nation was just talking about 
how um you know what this team does well because there's so many things that the team does not do well so it was like let's point out a couple of uh a couple of things that that the bulls actually are decent at and one of them is not only taking care of the basketball themselves they're actually they they actually have the best turnover percentage in the nba um so that's the lowest mark and then they so of course they commit the fewest turnovers per game uh so they take care of the basketball some of that is also related to them having a, a rather um unoriginal offense there's there's there's, you know some of the reasoning there is definitely because of the way that they approach the offensive side of the ball and and how conservative they are but at the same time they do deserve some credit for keeping their turnovers down and conversely they've been always good since in this iteration of the team at forcing turnovers and you know Alex Caruso is a big part of that Um, Javon Carter now is a big part of that but they, they their ability to turn defense into offense is kind of their only real identity offensively in a lot of ways and i think that's you know for a game going up against utah what i wrote going into that game was a reason i thought the bulls could take care of business was utah had the second highest turnover percentage in the nba going into that game so it only made sense to me that the bulls were going to have an advantage there and they they did take advantage with a 30 to 1 um, in that department in the turn in points off mm-hmm. turnovers, they won 30 to one. So I think if you're looking for like signs of hope with this team, if you're looking for things that they can um, really try to double down on to create a better offensive identity, it, it's forcing these turnovers, just getting out in transition and playing fast. That's, that's always what they've been good at. That's what a team that's led by Zach Levine is good at. And the hope would be that they can figure out how to do a little bit more of that um, as the season goes on. You know, one thing that I have noticed over the last couple of games is Javon Carter is starting to settle in a little bit more. And Definitely. especially with his three point shot, he's really he's taking a, he's taking a lot of threes and not playing much. I, I think like he's taking right now um, again, small sample size because we're early in the season, but a little bit over eight threes per 36. And in the game against uh, Utah, he took eight threes in 17 minutes so he, yeah. he's really making the the most out of what was supposed to be an improved shot profile for his team but I think we're seeing what we were anticipating seeing out of Javon Carter and that's just like he, he still plays good defense he's still tough good veteran presence bringing that three ball with like the threes in transition like those pull-ups like he's got a little bit of movement with his jump shot as well I, I, I yeah. think I think what Javon Carter is bringing so far has been really solid. So it's going to be interesting to see how his role expands from here on out. But what what do you make of what you've seen out of Javon Carter? And, you know, we, we talked about how Bulls went 18 for 34 in this game, and he was a really big part of it from three. But what, what have you liked about Javon Carter in the last couple of games? Yeah, well, that was a signing that, I mean, I was high on from the beginning. I was actually shocked that they got him for as cheap as he did because I thought with what he he did last year for Milwaukee, um, you know, that that a contender would go out and, and maybe try to give him a higher than, than the six, what I think it was like 6.2 million or whatever that Chicago right. gave him. So for uh, a year, that is. So for, for me, I, I think what's kind of slept on with Javon is just how efficient of a three-point shooter he has become and also the way that he does it. But among like, I think it was like 330 uh, players last season 
or no, among players that shot about 333s last year, Javon ranked fifth highest in efficiency. You know, he was only behind guys like Maxi, Heald, Steph Curry, and Kispert. I think those were the only guys that ranked ahead of him. Mm-hmm. So he shot like 42% from downtown. Again, the volume may not have been the highest there in Milwaukee because, you know, he was used in more of a specialized role, but he would go in there or go in the games, take about three a game, and he was, he was draining them at a high clip. And so for Chicago, they brought him to you know to the team to help in that changing of the shot profile to say mm-hmm. when you're out there you have to take those and i think you know he's also a smart player he's a guy that needs to find his rhythm we saw over these first few games that he wasn't as trigger happy as maybe the team would want him to be but now over these last four or so games i think we've really started to see more of who he is and who he can be because i mean yeah i think double digits now in the pa- in in four of the past five games for him like you said, drained four threes against Utah, and a lot of those were move all movement based threes. So he's somebody that, unlike uh, some of these good catch and shoot shooters, even unlike someone like Kobe White, who I would say is you know a good catch and shoot guy, um, Javon's kind of not that. If you actually go look at his stats throughout his career, it's not like he's a, a highly efficient catch and shoot uh, guy. He's more of a efficient pull up threat um, in transition and more of a coming off, you know, coming off a screen and maybe grabbing it, like doing a one dribble and and chucking it up. So last season it was about 40% on pull up threes, which is pretty darn good. And then, uh, yeah, you have those, those more, those threes that we saw last night where maybe he comes off a a stagger screen or, Hmm. or a couple screens and grabs a DHO and then, uh, just goes straight up with it. So it's that his ability to, to create those shots and, and be efficient off movement is a big thing for this team. And I think it resembles the type of offense they want to have. The problem is that he's the only one doing it. And I think maybe someone like Kobe white can take some lessons from it a little bit more, move a little bit more like Javon does. Um, You know, even Zach can do a little bit more of that. Uh, They could try to get him involved, but I I definitely, they, they, grabbed him because he does what they want their offense to do but not enough guys on their offense are going to be doing right, that right. so it's it's tough because i think maybe it just means play javon more uh you know there's a case for him there, there i thought he was going to be the starting point guard hanging into the year before the preseason i understand why kobe got it and i'm still okay seeing seeing where this goes with kobe for now but javon's kind of lurking there just because of what he is able to do um you know as that that off ball threat yeah yeah, it's bizarre because looking at the numbers and you thought the reason it got Javon is because how well he would fit with DeMar and Zach, especially what yeah. Javon does defensively. And as of now, the weird stat of the season so far is with the lineup of Zach, DeMar, and Vooch, DeMar has played zero minutes. Uh, sorry, uh, Javon has played zero minutes with those guys. Yeah, that's like, crazy. That's all three of them together. Yeah, I was like, "What is going on here?" I like, like I'm, like I was a big Kobe start Kobe guy. Um, as into the preseason, I really like Kobe. Kobe, I love the, you. You pointed out the good things Kobe does. Um, he's he's gotten better. You know, he he's he does good things out there offensively as a creator, um, and 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 getting guys the offense going in, in certain aspects. But defensively, he's just really a bad fit with these three guys. And a lot of times, what ends up happening, especially in closing situations, uh, the opposing team starts to hunt him down. Uh, they start running plays, trying to make switches and stuff, trying to get match him matched up against you know, the other team's best player on the perimeter. So 
to me, it, it kind of, you have to wonder when will it come where like Javon ends up starting. Um, at, and at least to a point where when is Billy going to start playing Javon with these guys? Because that's why you bought him on the team. So yeah, um, yeah that's what I minutes, think it is for me. Yeah, I think, yeah, no, I, I was just going to say, I think it's, it's honestly for me, I don't even know if he needs to, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing what he is as a starter, but just, I don't know, maybe, maybe Kobe gets staggered into the second unit and he can just try to be a little bit more of a scorer there. And Javon comes in a little earlier to run with um, those three, because for me, it's just, I, like you said, defensively, that's why I thought Javon was going to end up being the starting point guard when they signed him was because of what he provided, like his, it's because of his on-ball defense and Kobe can't do that. But I think what I've realized a little bit of why Donovan ended up wanting to go with, uh, with Kobe in that position was actually because of what, what like, cause what Kobe can do that Javon can't is attack the paint off the dribble. And so, mm. or at least what Kobe would be better at, I think. Uh, you know, we, it's not that we don't see that from Javon, but I think, you know, Kobe as a downhill guy is a little bit, uh, it, it has more to his game. He's got a quicker first step. Um, and I just think the emphasis of this offense has tried to put on getting uh, into the paint and then creating your offense from there and kicking out for three and all that stuff, I think is why Kobe probably ended up with the, with the job. And I think his leash is somewhat long because he can do that. But um, but yeah, I mean, if, if Javon could show a little bit more of that, maybe he can, he can slide in there, but I just do, do think it's ridiculous. Like you said, the fact that they haven't played with, he hasn't played much with those three is so confusing because the fit is just so obvious to me about why he makes sense next to those guys. Yeah. It, it's really yeah, surprising. Okay. Like that Salim stat is really surprising. And then you look at just the minute distribution and you see that Kobe's playing like heavy starter minutes, like about like 32 a game, I think. And Javon is about at 15 a game. And I, I think at some point, whether Javon is starting or not, you want to get to a point where at least they are playing the type of minutes that Torrey Craig, I think, and Patrick Williams are, where they're both about at like 22, 23 apiece right now. And I think that's a pretty equal like distribution, at least until you figure out like, you know, who's got a hotter hand or whatnot. But, um, you know, like Salim, I, I've been also like, yeah, play Kobe, let him start. We heard nothing but good things about him in the offseason and, and all of those things. But, yeah, Javon, like the fact that he hasn't played any minutes with with your your top three players is uh, it's pretty uh, shocking, to say the least. Yeah, like, at some point, like, it'll be interesting. Like, at some point, maybe – uh, Billy goes away with closing with Kobe, mm-hmm. uh, especially depending on lineup situations and how other teams are responding to him and ends up going with Caruso mm-hmm. um, more so over Kobe. And maybe, you know, we, we end up seeing that situation play about it or, or even like, like I said, you know, what you guys said, kind of up Carter's minutes to the mid twenties and put Kobe around the mid twenties. So it kind of meshes up right a little bit. Um, other obviously polarizing conversations been Patrick Williams. I know coming into season, everyone was again ho- looking for a big, you know, step up from Pat as far as what he would pro- do as a pro- productively as offensively. Obviously, the big conversation with him is like points per game because it's just he tends to pass up shots. And to a degree, it's more so. I think the processing with him offensively is not there yet, so that 
a lot of times he ends up, you know, when people say he has those record scratch moments, it's more so he overthinks it. And at that point, when he thinks before just uh, taking the shot or making a decision, then it's too late. And then, you know, you see whatever uh, situation turnabout happened with him on offense. But since going to the bench, he's started to play better. Um, I've, I've been a proponent of him coming off the bench because I do think playing with those three and if you're not used to being a role player like knowing how to play off ball knowing how to do certain things it's tough to to do play with those guys and it's a and it's a and it's just a developed skill so uh, not to say pat will never have those type of skills to, that he knows knows constantly knows when to cut when to uh shoot the ball when he gets the ball or whatever have you um but Right now, that's just not there consistently. Like, you see it sometimes, other times you don't. Uh, but like I said, I think we've seen better from Pat. I think his shooting is just right now as he's cold. Um, I've liked what I've seen from Pat off the bench. How about you, Elias? Like, what's your uh, thoughts of him coming off the bench? Do you still have any concerns with Pat outside, like, the cold shooting? Uh, yeah, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, I think... I, I wrote the, I think it was the day before they ended up benching him, like uh, just saying he needs to be benched. And, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that needs, that has to have a negative connotation to it. You know, what I wrote is, is moving him to the second unit is just as much about him hurting the first unit as it is helping him because he clearly is not, like you said, I think overthinking is the key word. Like he, he has flashes. He's had moments next to the starters where you see like, you know, why can't you just be more like Tory Craig? Like, why can't you, who's even more athletic and even more bouncy and has more of an off the dribble scoring, you know, arsenal. Like it, it's, you want it there because you've seen little moments, but the, the fact of the matter is he overthinks it. He clearly doesn't have the confidence when he's sharing the court with those three to feel like he needs to score. And, and even if you remove one of those guys from the floor, you've seen him have more confidence to be like, oh, okay, I understand, you know, how, what my role can be now. They need me to score a little bit more. But the reason that I always liked the idea, even from before the season starting, um, and, and I, I, in the off season, I'm pretty sure it was probably not a full post, but maybe in our, our morning post that we do every day, like just had a brainstorming session about like I th- why I think Tory Craig could should start over him from the beginning of the year, and it just goes back to Pat with that second unit. You know, he doesn't have to do the overthinking. Like you said, when you're next to Caruso, Carter, guys that turn defense into offense, force turnovers, you're getting out in transition. Those are super easy buckets for a young player that builds his confidence throughout the game. But he gets to rely far more on his just raw athletic talent in the second unit than he does, um, you know, in the first unit where he has to be more of that smart role player. And I remember when I, I, I wrote that, I think that the, the day or two before, um, they actually benched him and you know some someone commented like well you know why would you want him to play with the bench that's full of because i called like the bench the junkyard dog group you know like they have a lot of those types and they're and they're like he's the opposite of those guys why would you want you know to put him with those guys and i'm like well that's exactly the reason it's like he's the opposite of those guys (laughs) so he should be surrounded by those guys and they can help you know lift him up and uh get him into a group because i also think when he's a type of player that we've seen when he gets that easy you know dunk in transition or just that three-pointer finally to fall like he's streaky he starts you see more from him you see him get more confidence um you know attacking on the baseline to try to just uh go at a guy go into a guy's chest or attack miles turner you know like you just see a little bit more once he's able to not only read the game off the bench and then come into the game but 
once he just not like gets a bucket, he his confidence clearly grows. So for me, I think the second unit's the best for him right now. Um, he's I it, it, we I like the change in him that we've seen. It's definitely more aggressive, more confident, but um, you know, it's still it's just still not enough. Like it, I don't want to. I'm not jumping ship on the guy because he's 22 years old. I think he's had a weird this has been a weird situation to come into as a number four overall pick. Like he was a guy that should have been on the court a lot making mistakes, I think. And he had to come in right away with a team that was completely, you know, changed up early and try to be like a real starter for a win now team. And like, that's just, it's hard for the second youngest player in that draft class to come in and play that kind of role. So I just think the way the bulls have gone about developing him uh, just hasn't made a lot of sense. And part of that is because they chose this win now direction, which doesn't necessarily fit a player like him uh, coming into the league. So it's hard because I think, yes, he's he's not uh, void of criticism, right? Like he's mm. he needs to play better. A lot of it seems mental with him. But at the same time, like he there's there's shades of the, you know, of the Larry Markinen thing where he just the confidence isn't there and it's some of it's team related. It's just the way that the team has been, hasn't necessarily allowed for him to thrive in some ways. Yeah. I, I, I tend to agree with you because I think on one hand, I think Patrick Williams is just really capped in what he can do in this role. The field goal attempts probably are not going to get much higher than they are. Um, I'm not really worried about the three point shot. He's getting open looks. Like when you watch the games, he's getting open looks. He's just not making them. And it's a really small sample size. And we've seen him make 41% of his threes on a pretty good volume last year. So yeah, I'm not he, worried about his three pointer. He's, yeah, he can shoot it. We've yeah, seen that. Right. So we, we know, we know he'll get like some, uh, you know, regressions to the mean with that at some point, uh, whenever that may be. But, um, you know, long term, it, to me, it, it, like like you said, it just seems very clear that if we're going to get anything more than what we're seeing right now from him in this role, it's going to be with a completely different type of team because he's probably not going to be able to expand his game. Now, that's probably not something that people want to hear because, you know, it with this team, I, I think the thought was that, okay, you know, on one side, people are saying, OK, we're only going to get as far as the big three or the mid three, as people say, are going to take us. And then on another side, maybe you could also say, but the wild card here is someone like Patrick Williams, who if he expands his game and becomes more assertive and can start running the offense through him and whatever, whatever, then, you know, this team might have this team might be something a little bit different, but. For different reasons, some Patrick, some not, it seems like this is probably going to be as good as it gets in this role as a six man or the starter in a like the starter as a fourth option. It just doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of like wiggle room otherwise. Yeah, I agree. I just think there's not a ton of I, I, it's just the environment. I think what we've seen now over the, the last two years, especially, it's just like yeah. this isn't the right environment for him to to really come into his own. And, you know, I, I wish that wasn't the case. I do still believe there's a lot of skills there that, um, you know, there, there, there are definitely ways that he can help this team. But I don't think that it's he's clearly not understanding those. And, you know, until you you open up, um, you know, more scoring opportunities naturally by maybe getting rid of those big three or whatever. You're just not going to see him have the mindset to go out there and do it. So, yeah. um, yeah, it's, it's been a tough conversation the whole time with him because 
it, it there's no denying that the the you know sheer athleticism yet like the the little moments that he continues to have uh there's a lot there for sure but yeah um it's a struggle. i think the <laughs> it's yeah a, it's just it's just a struggle yeah, to, to see where how he's gonna how he's going to improve and step into the role that they they want him to yeah. they, they thought that he could step into with this team i just don't necessarily see how it's gonna happen this season and one more thing i wanted to add is just um i i know there's been talk about you know, pointing at Lowry, like, hey, you know, Lowry left Chicago and, you know, went to Cleveland and now he's in Utah and Lowry, different player, more confident, like just straight out balling. And, you know, we've seen that from Wendell Carter as well. So for me, I, I really hesitate to just write Patrick Williams obituary because I'm just like, man, he's still really young. You never know what can happen. Sometimes young players either having a new situation on the same team or leaving to go to a new situation. And like you said, being in a position where they can play through their mistakes, they're not looking over their shoulder. They're having more things run through them. They are, you know, the offense is tailored more to their strengths, a coaching staff that maybe is a lot more invested into what they want from that player looks completely different. And, you know, we see Lowry in a situation in Utah where, He's balling really no pressure. Like he's playing in Utah. <laughs> like there's no pressure. Wendell went to Orlando. Like it's Orlando. Like he's just no pressure. You're going out, you're balling, you're doing what you gotta do. They're letting you play through your mistakes. They want you to win. Chicago is just a different situation because we're trying to make this trio work and you're a complimentary piece to all of that, not necessarily someone that is like really being pushed heavily i think you know yeah well i think that's also where the the front office's philosophy of wanting to win now like you said that it was expedited into a win now team and then constantly drafting these guys that need a lot of playing time to play yeah. through their mistakes like to to be successful with this mid three that we constantly <laughs> talk about you have to have established high level role players like that, those you have, that's why Alex Luso, that's why Lonzo Ball was so vital. He was an established high level role player and he knew how to play the game. And he was obviously, he was elite defensively. Um, but I was also, he was a, such a great decision maker in the half court as far as moving the ball. So that's why the impact was there. And Pat's not there yet. And even Kobe at times, you see that, you know, mm-hmm. he still needs, you know, some development there. Um, like you look at the, the struggles of the big three we talk about it, and we've had ample sample size now it's a total of 3015 minutes that they've played together and to this day there's still a net negative 2.35 rate net rating like it, it just shows you that this, this big three is bad so like you can't expect a big three that's bad together to make it easier for young guys to uh, play play off of. Like, young guys can't learn from that and learn how to play well off of that. I know the uh, conversation always becomes um, about how if uh, young guys should learn, how, it should be easier for long, young guys to play off of stars and, you know, it makes things easier, their role jobs easier, their roles easier, but not really, not for, not with this big three, because like I said, they, they don't, play well off each other and they don't make the team better so well yeah that, that's too. yeah what i would add to that is just that none of them are like your big three two out of those three that you're relying on none of them are pass first guys 
you know, throughout their careers. None of them are, you know, relatively or, or you know, gifted facilitators in any way. And they're all more, they've all been score first guys in their career. And they also all take up the same area of the floor in a lot of times. And yeah. that's the area of the floor that Patrick needs if in a lot of ways, because mm. yeah, his three point stroke is good, but Pat shouldn't be a, you know, Pat's not a three is not, shouldn't be a high, high volume three point shooter. Like that's not the type of guy he is. He is, you know, he's somebody who should, we want, everyone keeps saying, well, Patrick needs to attack. And you know, I do think you need to do more of that, but I also can understand why he's hesitant to do that because he's like, well, Vooch is there or like, well, Damar lives in the mid You know, like there's just, it's hard to sometimes right. see the opportunities of like, he, that's where he wants to live. Pat also, he, in, in especially in college and everything, like he likes to get to his mid-range. We, we see that consistently. Like, and he has a decent mid-range pull-up game because he has that high, you know, he just gets so high and he can shoot over nearly any defender. So it's just hard because like the offense that Pat wants to play is just also not, doesn't make sense a lot of times with the way that these three, these three play. So. Yeah. You, you mentioned it like where all of these players have come from their careers. Vooch was on an Orlando team with an offense built around feeding him in the post and really finding him like all over the floor behind the, behind the perimeter, using him as a, a hub in the offense. Everything was really catered to him. DeRozan has always been a top option on any team that he goes to. ISO really getting in that mid-range spot. Zach has been on the Bulls for, you know, however, however many years now, and he's been that guy. Like, they have built him into that top option here. So, you know, Lonzo Ball was looked at as being the straw that stirred that drink. Uh, Caruso was brought here to, you know, also be kind of complimentary to make these pieces work, but losing Lonzo I think was really the biggest factor in all of this so now you have all of these three players who really need to eat but no one can really serve them so it's just a really tough situation and I I think other things that have contributed to it as well is that DeMar like DeMar is still really good but I think there have been like some observations that maybe there's a little bit of a a tail off like so far of his season in terms of his play so that's affecting it. And I know we're going to talk about it later with Zach Levine, but I think there could be really some off court stuff that could be affecting some of his consistency as well on top of his injury. And it's just the mix of it right now is just really unfortunate. It's just not, it's hard to see them like reversing this trajectory in a really good way. Yeah. Not at this point. It's been, you know, you're, you're, you're in year three and at some point you are who you are, you know, and there's, there's, I think we know, like, like Salim said, you know, you, you said how many minutes they played, like you are who you are at that point. And they are a net, this big three is a net negative and that's not going to change. And honestly, I think as much as we talk about the Lonzo ball as well and how great those first 35 games are with him, Hmm. I, I said it from the beginning, once he got hurt, I think all that injury showed was how fragile the roster construction was on this team because, you know, you can't, Lonzo was not considered one of your three best players, right? He was considered your fourth. And that, and, and, you know, when you're, it, it shouldn't have met, even if he stayed healthy, while the team may have looked better, that their ceiling was only going to be so high, in my opinion, because you just, your, your three were what they were, and we're seeing what they are right now. And, uh, and I just think that was something that kind of gets lost in the front office that they can keep saying, like last year, especially about how the Lonzo injury hurt and, and, you know, and, and I'm not denying that it did, but I just think that uh, the roster construction itself was always was always poor in a lot of ways, and the and the idea of what this big three could be um, 
I think has proven to be it was always just not going to work out. Yeah, and I think they, I think they know that too. I think, I like I'm I think they like playing with each other. I think they like each other personally and on the court. But oh, I think yeah. they also know that it just when it's on the court, it just don't work. Like sometimes when you date people, it's like oh yeah, like they're cool, friendly, whatever, whatever. But for whatever reason, there's no spark. It doesn't work. You know, you can go on a good date. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can go on a good date, and then it just doesn't work out yeah. with that person. And, yeah. I, and everything that I've like also like like heard about the team and stuff is is that these guys do you know that they do like each other. Like they are right. genuine. Like the Nashville thing, like them going to Nashville and all this stuff and bonding. Yeah. Like it went well. It's not like like because they like each other. They don't. They'll hang out with. You. They'll go to Top Golf. Like they yeah. <laughs> enjoy yeah. when Zach says Demar is one of my close friends. That's great. You know, because this is why they say don't you don't be a roommate with your best friend. You know, because like <laughs> you, you can you can yeah. be best friends with Demar all you want. It doesn't mean you're going to be a great te- you know make a good team. So. Yeah, yeah. So it's- yeah, <laughs> yeah. Their 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 deficiencies don't complement each other. Like you talk about, yeah, you know, right. Like they're the, the, the defensive end. None of them are a plus defender, and that's the biggest. Like if you had. If you had at least one of those guys who was like flat out a good defender, I think you would see a better results with a three of them. Uh, in particular, if like Vooch was a much better defender, because then that rim protection really would, uh, you know, take care of some of the issues with the Demar and Zach. But yeah, um, it just it is what it is. And like poor poor Alex Caruso, like so much gets weighted on him because of the deficiencies of this big three. And, you know, we've talked about him want, needing to be in the rotation more. They talked about, ask Billy, why doesn't he start? And he's like, you know, I've thought about starting him. But then again, we talked about the minutes and him getting banged up. And then the game before last, you know, we all had a, a scare because he fell awkwardly on that shoulder. And he's always going to get banged up like that because he goes 100 and, you know, 200 miles an hour. He plays, you know, 110%, all that cliche stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his body, you know, gets banged up. He's, what, like 6'4". So it's harder for him to be able to do a lot of these things, play the way he does, and then not have, you know, different various issues throughout the season. Um, like, yeah, like, let's talk about AC, like the importance that he provides. And, like, what – What's the what's the balance here? Like uh, the Bulls, like Billy has to play him more, but again, like that that possibility of him getting hurt is always there. Right. I I mean, yeah, I think it's I understand the the approach that they take with him and and why they're hesitant to throw him in the starting lineup. Like, there's no denying that the team's at their best when he's out there. If you look on, you know, his on off differential since he's come to Chicago, it's it's like always a positive. I yeah I just put it I just pulled it up here on uh you know clean the glass has him as his first year in Chicago a plus eight point two efficiency differential ninetieth percentile last year plus nine point seven ninety third percentile this year it's only a plus two point six which is in the sixtieth percentile but um but you know we know what he does we we know what he brings and I understand wanting to to just protect that at all costs because not only is he um. Not only have we seen how bad things can get when he's not able to be out there, and it's already pretty bad. So imagine him not at all involved, then it gets even worse somehow. But I think there's also something to be said. Now, Billy, this isn't, I want to be clear, this isn't, Billy's not actively thinking about this, but 
I wouldn't be surprised if this front office is like, you know, you got to use this guy carefully because he's also one of their best assets, in my opinion, you know? So if this team goes to blow it up mode in in February or whatever, like Caruso's easily one of your best like mid-season trade like assets that you have. Like he's the type of guy that's going to go for way more at the trade deadline than some teams would think potentially just because of who he is and the impact that he has. So um, I definitely, I agree with the way they're using him. Would I love if he could be out there more? Sure. But I think at the end of the day, like talking a lot about these tweaks to the starting lineup with even with Torrey Craig going in there while I think it was the right move. And while maybe down the road, Javon will prove to be the right move in the starting lineup. Like, it, it's still all just marginal stuff because I don't think anything is going to be the the one big fix, you know, and even playing Caruso more and just riding him to the wheels fall off. It's not going to be the the savior that, that you want it to be. So that's why I, I'm comfortable with the way they're using him. Cause the last thing I do want is for him to get hurt and them to like overdo it with him, you know, mm. when it's probably not going to produce the results that, that you would hope it would uh, produce. Right. Yeah. The, the team has good role players. I think that, would probably impact like a lot of championship contenders when you look at Caruso and Carter and even Tory Craig. It's just like you said, all of them together can maybe help marginally, but it's not there's just not a whole lot that you can do to really offset what clearly just isn't working at a significant level with what Salim said three thousand plus minutes. So yeah, <laughs> it's just not. This is not. It's a just, it stinks, do. right? Because yeah. sometimes it's hard to talk about. Because like we like we like a lot of these guys on the roster, mm-hmm. but then it just all goes back to that nucleus. Like yeah. you have the core. You know, it's it it's all you. You're one of your three best players. Ultimately, do not fit together. Then it creates a very hard cap on what your team is going to be able to right. uh, accomplish right. and how high the ceiling is going to be. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is what it is with that. And obviously, we've talked a lot about the big three. Um, one of the big threes in particular just has had started off with a rough year as Zach Levine. Um, and a lot of speculation is that he's just kind of, I mean, at least it feels like it. Like, there's just a lot of chatter going on that he's probably been kind of soured on the team due to all the, you know, trade uh stuff that's going on since like the last trade deadline. Um, and maybe that it's, that's been kind of worn down on him and he's just kind of had enough. Uh, you've seen some troubling quotes from him post game. Um, obviously like we talked about the Vincent Goodwill article where he kind of mentioned, you know, this is it. It's not possibly not only, you know, taking, you know, saying uh, it's up to the players. It's also like you have to look at Billy and you have to look at the front office too. And I'm trying to make this thing work. And then after the game the other day against Darn, uh, against uh, who was it? It was the uh, the, the Nets game. Uh, he had some troubling quotes with Darnell, and he talked about how he did not think those obvious <laughs> mistakes on defense were mistakes on defense. Like they were clearly it was poor, like bad effort uh, com- uh, uh, contesting a shot, and then doing a lazy. Try poke around to try to you know get a steals and then just letting guys pass him you know, without any resistance essentially. So yeah, what what are your thoughts on Zach? Obviously, he played better yesterday. He looked better yesterday. But is there a growing concern uh, for you, Elias, as far as where Zach's has that, and as far as what he wants to do? His his goals are personally with the team going forward. 
Uh, well, I think what I think what I would say first is that you know there's always there's always a a, a concern in a way. Some the I, there's always something dangling there when you see all these trade rumors like that. That is a seed being planted, and he can you know come. He keeps being asked about it too, right? He's had many interviews dating back to to this off season where he's had to say like, "Oh, it's a business. I understand that. I, I you know I'm I'm not worried about it. Those rumors aren't coming from my camp and and whatever." And I think the more you have to give that interview, you know, the more frustrated you get. So I definitely think there's a level of frustration. And then you add that to the team just being, you know, where it is and it being bad and him probably knowing like these guys are not dumb, you know, like they say, they say that they've said it in interviews, like this is our last go at it. And while sometimes the last go at it thing can lead to, motivation and actually ramp you up sometimes it could just be they accept their fate which is (laughs) this is not going to work out you know and i think with zach like he might just he he might know that and i and i respect him because i do think he's he i think he tries to improve every year he usually does improve in some in some category every year i think he tries to make the right plays you know for the most part um, I, he's, it's obviously his late game decision-making has been a major problem over, the, um, at times throughout his career, he's gotten better at it. You see the little moments like dishing it off to AC for, you know, that game winner. And like, I, I, like I said, I think he's always trying to play the right way. And I just think that he's been losing his entire career. He's got one playoff appearance under his belt and he was, he was banged up during it. So if the trade deadline is is lurking and I like I don't think he's going to ask out, I'll say that. Like I don't think he's the type that's going to do that because I do think that there is a piece of him that wants to make things things work in Chicago and and does and he might think right now I'm going to be here for whatever the next iteration is of this too. Like even though he thinks his core is not going to work, I think he might think they'll just retool it around me, you know. So he might be thinking that way, but um but yeah, I just think he I also think it could be a situation where if they do go to him and they're like, hey, we're going to, you know, they actually tell him we're going to try to trade you or we're going to trade you to this place. I don't think he's going to be up in arms about it. You know, <laughs> like he might be okay with it. So it's, uh, it's yeah, it's kind of like the Dame, like I, not comparing him as a player to Dame, but like when Dame the past few years, everyone was like, Dame's going to, they got to trade Dame, right? Or like they're going to trade Dame or whatever. And Dame kept being like, you know, I don't, I'm not going to, he's not asking out. Like Dame wasn't the one asking out until it was really pushed on him. And I think that's like where Zach is right now. Like, I don't think he wants to be the guy that demands a trade and 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 leaves the franchise or anything. Um, but I also think that like maybe if they if they just go to him and say we're going to do this, that I, I don't think he's going to freak out about it. Yeah, I think I, I really wonder what what all happened in the off season because we we saw those rumors about Zach being moved and his name being involved in like the James Harden and Dame stuff. Like, I I don't know. There were just kind of like some vague stuff with him being involved and potentially being available. And we know the Bulls took calls on him, right? So I think, and this is just all speculation, but I think the Bulls want out of that contract. (laughs) Like, I I think they want out. I, I I would almost bet like 90% that they want out of that contract because... It, it just does not seem like it, it just seems like a, some some buyer's remorse to me for whatever reason. I don't know what's happening with like, you know, Billy Donovan. Um, I don't know what discussions him and, and his camp have had with AK and Eversley, but it just seems like they want out of that. I think Zach would love to be here, like you said, but I don't think they I don't think the feeling is mutual at all. 
And I honestly wouldn't even be surprised if there was some sort of like conversations like, hey, we're going to move you. And he was like, you said, he's like, OK, like we're going to move you in all season. We're going to try and get something done with, you know, whoever, whoever. And it didn't happen. Now he's still here. So I don't know if that's been affecting his play or whatever. Again, just pure speculation. But to me, there just seems to be a lot of smoke here where rumor after rumor after rumor has appeared. And it's kind of, um, it's not the same situation as Jimmy Butler, but it does remind me of that where we just kept seeing so many stories about the team, like wanting to move him for so long. And, you know, it never actually like happened until it happened. And now I think we're kind of in that same lane with Zach where it's like, okay, we've seen, we saw the stuff last trade deadline where, hey, teams were calling. I think the Knicks were a team that called. We saw the stuff in the offseason. Like, okay, Philly, um, um, like, I, I don't I don't know, like, all the stuff with Dame and, like, Harden, like, we, we saw his name kind of tossed around in that. And we, we've seen the articles where the Bulls had this high price tag, but nobody wants to pay it. If someone wanted to pay that, he'd be out the door by now. <laughs> Right. Yeah. That's, and that is the thing. I mean, I think that it, it, and that's, or that is what it seems like is, you know, they, they keep saying that they have their, their price is really high and all the reports are, you know, they've been taking the calls, but they, they don't want to trade unless you blow, like, you know, blow them away with an offer. And, and that is the approach they should have at this point. But, um, you know, what, yeah, what that does ultimately suggest, like in, in the overarching grand scheme of things is like, yeah, they're clearly willing to move him. Yeah. So they want out of it. Like it's, to to me right now, it just seems like at the rate that this season could potentially go, that I think we all think is likely to go, I think Zach is – I think this might actually be the season that it happens, honestly. Like, if the Bulls are mediocre at the deadline and out of it, I I think they're going to do it. And the – the catch here is I do think that they are going to sell for a lot less because there's no market for whatever price they have. There's no market for it. So oh, the reality is, yeah, yeah the reality is they're going to get a lot less than what they wanted. The teams are yeah. not going to try to um, give a high price for Zach because, right. like I said, he doesn't have the credentials as these other star guards do. So teams are not going to try to you know, give out a lot for him. And, I personally think if the, the season keeps going the way it is, I think Zach is going to ask out. I mean, let's not forget he's a clutch client. Yeah. Um, yeah, so but I, just I feel think like... he's going to. I think he's going to. Uh, there's going to. We're going to see a a a Wojba or a Sham. Sorry, Shams because Shams is with clutch. We're going to see it at some point this season if it keeps going the way it is. I feel is my prediction that Zach is going to be a Zach Levine has asked for a trade. Is Zach Levine wants out of. Chicago. I think we're going to see that at some point this season. Um, and I, I, I kind of like, it's like, I don't even think we've been secretive about the trade. Like they've been very loud about wanting to trade him. Like, so it, he's kind of to a point where he's just tired of it probably. And yeah. And if the losing keeps happening, he's just going to be like, screw this. I need to trade me. I want out now. Yeah. And right. I think the only, I think the only put the only pushback I would have would be, I think that what we have seen with Zach is that he definitely likes being the guy and he may, and the reason that he may not ask out is because he sees a world where they get rid of DeMar and, you know, Vooch hangs around and him and Vooch have had a decent two man game in the past. Vooch clearly wouldn't be the guy. And he's like, 
I can continue to be the guy in Chicago, you know, and he continues to be in, in, like you say, clutches his, his agency. Yes. But he continues to, to be in ads, to, to be in all this, you know, he's got a lot of promotion promotion, like this past year and stuff. He's in the NBA. He was in the NBA's like gear up ad, like the, you know, how you like me now or whatever it running. It looked like in Chicago, like, you know, he's, he definitely promotes himself as a bull. So I just think that there's, Still, and I, I, I don't, I wouldn't be shocked. Let me say, if he, if he were to ask out, of course, but I just think that that, um, you know, every chance he has gotten to either like rebuff the rumors or like stay, it's not coming from my camp or whatever. He's done it, and I think it's because he still sees a potential path of being like the guy. And we also know that Clutch likes that. Like Clutch likes when they, when their guy is the guy in a scenario. So for that reason, I wouldn't be shocked if he does just hang around, but then the Bulls just trade him anyway. But I just wouldn't yeah. be shocked if, for that reason, he doesn't ask out. And then the only other thing that I kind I, I slightly disagree with is, I still think there's a world where they can get like pretty good, like good value for him, and not for and not have to settle on way less. And that's just because at the midseason market, some teams do get desperate, and especially for you know a, a guy who can sink threes in the way that he does, and like especially if you're a team like Philly who just had to settle on you know a, a bunch of stuff for for um harden like that were scraps and you didn't get the star that you wanted and then you have the fear of Embiid asking out like what if harden just goes okay sure here's a bunch of picks and you know like some young guys like so i just think i'm not saying that they're gonna get astronomical value for levine um but i do think they've shown that they're willing to be patient and they're you know yes it seems like they're eager to get off of him but Sometimes te- like there's a lot of teams that get desperate, especially when a star goes hunt, like when it's obvious that, that that guy's out there. Like if a report came from from Woj or Shams and they just went, you know, hey, this is the Bulls are looking to trade Zach Levine. Like mm-hmm. there's a handful of contenders that might that might really try to to go in there to get a player like that. So yeah. I still think there's a world where they get um where they can get some some pretty decent value. But it also depends on what they want in return, right? Like yeah. that's what it goes back to, too, is like, what does this front office want? Because I think they can get a good return to start a rebuild, you know, or like to to help spark a rebuild with guy like trade Demar, trade Zach, like you know you and and maybe even a guy like Caruso, whatever. Like I think there's a world where they can definitely get assets to to um, to jumpstart a rebuild. But if they don't want to do that, then yeah, maybe they would settle with like a less than ideal return of like current guys who help you win now to to go around Vucevic or something, which would be ridiculous, yeah. but I can't put it past this front office because that's that they, they continue to harp like, no, we want to stay relevant. We want to win. And then it's also the Reinsdorfs who always want to just, you know, be in, be in that mix. So it depends obviously on what the front office wants as well. Yeah. It, I think it's, I, I, I agree with you that I, I think Zach is worth more than what teams likely are offering, but, and we've talked yeah. about this so many times on the show, but, there's just the stigma that comes with Zach Levine, whether it's rightful or wrongful. I, I tend to think most of it is wrongful, but like he has this reputation around the league. Like Celine mentioned it, like um one one playoff appearance in however many years, hasn't won a playoff series, and people say, Oh, empty calories, you know, scores on bad teams, doesn't play defense, you know, all these things, but Zach is an all star level player. And I tend to think that if Zach were on a good team, he would still be playing the way that he has played in his peak years as a bull. And the reaction would be, man, who's this Zach Levine? <laughs> who's this guy? We've never, man, he's so improved. I never know he could play like it. It's the same guy though. But 
<laughs> your perception is different when you're just in a different environment and doing so for a better team, you know? So I, I, I think the only reason I think the Bulls are going to lose this trade is just because teams right now have not, they didn't want to pay a higher return at the trade deadline. They didn't want to do it in the off season. And I don't think his value is going to get any higher. Like I, I think they're going to, I think teams can sense that the Bulls want out of that deal for whatever reason. And they're going to, they may genuine, they, they may generate a market, but it's going to be at a lower uh, price point. And then maybe they can get a little bit more once they generate a market out of that. But I don't think it's going to be anywhere near whatever they're doing in. Um, we've seen all of these deals in the past where stars go for all of these pick swaps and, you know, first round picks or whatever, whatever. And teams may just be looking at that. Like, nah, we're not, we're not going to do that for Zach. Like teams are looking at a go bear deal and like, nah, we're not no parts of that. Like, no, not for, not for that guy. So I don't know. I just thought of this is the, yeah, not to like labor too long on this or whatever, but yeah. I just thought of this is like, I don't know. Like, what do we think about the, uh, or like I, I look at a player like DeMontis Sabonis, mm. right? When he was traded from the Pacers, that was a guy that was, um, you know, it's not, it's not a perfect scenario. DeMontis was younger. Um, uh, but you know, he, he, that was like a team that wasn't really going anywhere. That was kind of in the like play in type mix or whatever. He was like their, he was their star, you know, and then they trade him to the Kings for Halliburton healed, you know, like two really good players. And, um, and Halliburton at that point, it wasn't like Halliburton was nothing. It was like clear that everyone was like, no, he's a, that's a really good player, you know? So that was, that was a good return. And so, I don't know. I just like the reason that trade just popped in my head. Cause I'm like, I don't know. That was a guy that I don't know how high Sabonis's value is around the league, you know? And then, and, and that's the Kings too. So whatever you can say what they have about, about their organization, but they gave up a really good asset in Halliburton to get somebody like him because they were like, we have Fox. We are high on what Sabonis can do. And we think that we can, you know, cr- finally create this playoff win now team with some with someone like him and i just I, I just bring it up because there's always like surprising value out there you know and people thought that was a steal deal for the pacers right away because they got somebody they got someone like halliburton and, and they got healed who was a good asset that they still have but people thought they could flip you know down the road yeah. so i just think that there's always value out there in ways that you might not think about because that was a trade we didn't see mm-hmm. for a player that maybe uh, that it was kind of uh, ambiguous what his, what his type of value would be, even though he was an all-star, you know, mm-hmm. even though he was a two-time all-star, even though he was somebody who, um, you know, definitely was talented, but whether how, how talented he was and whether you could really build like a, a team around him was a little bit yeah. unclear. Yeah. Yeah. I just think also the, the, that situation uh, like the, the Sabonis at the time did not have a hefty contract. And also with again with Zach, like if if the Bulls were getting the value they wanted, he would be traded already. So I just think that's the the reality. And also with uh, Philly, like you brought up, Philly could be a potential option. But like Daryl Mari just recently said, like look, if if we do trade for someone, we have to make sure they're solid on both ends of the floor, and that's not Zach. Um, yeah, that's so I, I, and and also and also I don't know if he fits in uh, Maxi. Uh, like I don't. Do you want to take uh, with the way Tyrese Maxi is playing? Do you want to take the ball out of his hand? Do you probably want to get a guy that's more of like a an OG type or something? So I don't. I don't know. I, I, we'll see. Like I said, like we. I hope. 
I hope I'm wrong. And not to say I don't think Zach is worth more. I just think because of where we're at with, I think the Bulls have, essentially, I think the Bulls have devalued Zach in a sense. They've made his value low. It's not Zach that's value is low. I think it's just the Bulls have made him to what he is as far as what you can get for him. And at this point, it's going to be kind of like where I am with Ed, where I think we're going to have to settle on a deal. Um, and the deal is not going to be a, a very favorable one, I don't think, for the Bulls. But uh, let's wrap up on that. Let's let's look at the, the schedule really quick as we wrap up here. So we have an opportunity here to get to 500 in these next two games. Uh, you got the struggling Suns that have um, not been too healthy. I think Brad, they said Bradley Beal might be back, but there was not a like a 100% certainty. And then obviously the Pistons, who pretty much smacked the Bulls around the last time, uh, you're going. They're both home games. So, what do you guys? What do you guys uh, outlook on those two? Obviously, we're coming off a nice win against the Jazz. Against not to say the Jazz are a good team, but I mean the Bulls. You can't really look at any any team, you know, downwards, you know, upside down, and say, oh well, that team is good or bad. Either any team can beat this Bulls team at any given night, and uh, we haven't really seen the Bulls take advantage of a really a good team. Uh, but these, like I said, the Suns are struggling, and uh, Detroit is still a young team that's still figuring things out. Uh, well, how do you see uh, the Bulls' next two games going, Elias? Uh, well, the Suns won, not great. I just think that, you know, when you have another a superstar on the other side of the floor, we've seen what can happen to this Bulls team. So, um, you know, and, and maybe, honestly, Beal coming back, like, might make it might be better for the bulls because it's going to be the first time that, I mean, they had preseason, but like the first time Durant and him are trying to figure things out. And sometimes that can be like a little bit of a sticky situation. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't bank on anything great happening in that game, but the bulls are also masters of, of winning the games that you think they shouldn't win and losing the games that you think they should, should lose or yeah. So I don't know. We'll see what happens there, but I think the Detroit game, that's going to be a really interesting one for me uh, just because, you know, you want to see how they bounce back. They should take that, you know, take that loss that they had there personally. That was an ugly, ugly loss that should have just shouldn't have happened. They shouldn't have crumbled in the way that they did. Um, and they just let up so many points in the paint in that game. So they need to bring it defensively. And I'm curious if they can kind of step up and do that. Um, yeah, my money wouldn't be on getting back to 500, but I did write earlier this week at, at, at uh, Bleacher Nation that, you know, this is the stretch for me that is going to – that pr- it's, it seems early in the year to say it, but this is the stretch for me that's going to just decide the season basically because they have they have right. seven of eight games <laughs> at home. You know, these are seven of eight games at home. These are the games you're supposed to win. If you look at the schedule too, the, you know, because next week it's the Magic, two games at home. You know, you only rode a game here is, uh, in, in Milwaukee, so that one will be tough. But this is one of the easiest stretches they have left until like January 2nd. You know, it's like all the way up until then. If you look at the next month, it gets it gets tough. There's a gauntlet like run going on here. So I think um, if they want to show if they want to show that they can be anything this year or even be average and hover around 500, like they do have to take advantage of this uh, of these next like six or so games. Um, and if they can't, then all that trade talk that we had just had about Zach Levine is there's going to be a lot more of it. Yeah. Yeah, to your point, like you're you're playing a struggling Bucks team after Detroit. You know their their defense has been really bad. Uh, not surprisingly, going from Drew Holiday to who's one of the best 
perimeter defenders and uh, on-ball defenders in the league to uh, Damian Lillard, who's who's for his career has been one of the worst defenders in the league. <laughs> Um, so that obviously then you got the magic, you know, those, that, those teams are hungry, heat are struggling. So those are key games. Again, not to say that bullshit will win. They should be able to win those games and really straighten the schedule up. Yeah. This is I, like, you know, we talked about this, like the, this is, it, it's not an extremely difficult, like these first 15 games are not extremely difficult and they play a ton of games at home. And it's just, you just don't know if they can actually take advantage of that because once you get out of that um home stretch like then you play a really heavy road schedule and you know you're going to be at OKC you're going to be at Toronto at Brooklyn at Boston at Milwaukee at Miami twice at Philly. like you're going to be playing some really good teams so it's just I, I I don't know. Like, you just never really know with this team, man. It's just <laughs> de- depending on the day, you just don't know. I mean, they the the offensive numbers are not great, um, <laughs> to say the least. I think Casey no. Johnson, they're posted, really bad. <laughs> yeah, Casey Johnson like posted like a tweet with it, um, the other day, and I mean, I, I've just been looking at it, and you know, you're looking at things like like three point attempt rate, and the Bulls are like six points below the league average and like really like only Detroit and Charlotte take less than them <laughs> in three point rate. And then you just look at like the actual, like look at them, like free throw attempts per game. Like they're not really doing a whole lot there with that. Like, I don't know, like nothing offensively, nothing really seems to come easy with this team. And I mean, it's kind of sad to say, cause they have a lot of talent, in terms of their top three players, but like we've gone through, they just don't work. But yeah, I don't know. It's, you just never know with this team. <laughs> well, I would say yeah, just to just to add on a pile on to the real quick the uh, bad offense stats. Yeah. Uh, I was looking at it earlier today, and so it's, uh, last night's game broke. A, it was dating back to last season, broke a fourteen game stretch um, where they lost to their opponent behind the arc. So last night was the first time in 14 games that they beat their opponent behind the arc and made more. It was only by two, but they beat, the, they made 18 threes to the jazz at 16. And then the other stat that I saw was it was their most threes. 18 was their most threes made in a game since January 6th of last season against Philly. So they just don't, um, yeah, it's, it's dismal stuff behind the arc for them. As always, they, technically it's probably a a win for them because they rank 25th in three-point attempts per game right now at like 30.9 last season last two years they were dead last shooting below 30 so they're at least over the 30 threshold but um yeah it's it's all ugly and the three and the big three together i think are like a minus 21 together this season they're three-man yeah yeah. so it's um it's it's ugly the offense cannot click they have, like we talked about at the beginning of the show, there's some things they're good at. They're good at turning defense into offense, getting out in transition and stuff like that. Um, but at the end of the day, when you have guys that can force a lot of turnovers, like most teams are good because transition buckets are some of the easiest buckets. So yeah. it comes down to their half-court offense, and their half-court offense uh, still you know, ranks bottom, you have a bottom and third in the league. The, they just they can't get much going. The, the crazy thing um, about this past week was the uh, Denver game on um, – on Saturday when the Bulls were up by two at the half. And I think Denver and Chicago both had, um, had made like six threes at the half. And 
in the second half, Denver made like 10 threes and the Bulls made one. <laughs> it's just like that. That's just I mean, I, I'm not expecting them to beat Denver on the road because it's mile high. And traditionally, the Bulls are just really bad at mile high. But that's just kind of what they're at, like they're prone to at this point. Like they they'll be in a game and then another team will just be like, all right, well, let's get these threes off. And the Bulls are just like, well. We we can't do the yep. same, and it's, it's like Salim has been saying. Sometimes it really just just does come down to simple math in some games, and the Bulls just don't have the numbers. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. Well, yeah. Elias, thank you so much for joining us, man. It's always a pleasure. Uh, I think we've had you a couple of times uh, before, but you know, tell our listeners where obviously they can find your work, uh, anything that you are working on that, uh, that you've already posted, that's going to come out soon. Um, and anything else that you want to throw, uh, let our listeners know about. Yeah. Uh, I, you can always read my work over at bleachernation.com. Um, that's just all my bull stuff. I'm writing a million bulls articles a day because that's uh, all I obsess about. So you can go to bleachernation.com uh, to read all that. You could follow us uh, on Twitter or X or whatever uh, at BN underscore bulls. Also Facebook is just bleacher nation bulls. Um, and my Twitter, you'll find it. It's, it's, uh, if you go to BN bulls, it's, it's linked. You'll see it or something, but uh, yeah, I mean, and then uh, we have a new podcast, uh, our newer podcast um, over at BN. It's called uh, it's called Points in the Podcast. Uh, it's it's uh, it's it's about the Chicago Bulls. So if you want more Bulls talk, you can come. Uh, if my articles are not enough, you can go there <laughs> and listen to uh, listen to the stress in my voice. And uh, we got that going too. So you can subscribe to that on Apple or Spotify. We usually do two shows each week. Uh, this week it'll likely just be one. But um, yeah, that's that's what we got going on. It's all bulls all the time. Why you ask? Good question. But that's what it is, and uh, you can <laughs> you can all see it at bleachernation.com. So thank you guys again for uh, yeah, thank you guys for having me on. It's always fun. Um, like we said, may not have been the most chipper uh, conversation, but it's this it's the conversation that needs to be had. That's what that's what you do on the yeah. show, and that's what we do. Yeah. <laughs> no, hundred percent. You know, like I said, it's. This team, this team does it to us. So, like, you know, we want, we don't want to talk about the negative things. We want, you know, we yeah. want this team to be five and three, not three and five. <laughs> like, you know, or like, yeah. you know, we want them to be, you know, seven and one or whatever have you. But unfortunately, there's just too many struggles to to get that winning record. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how everything goes. Uh, Ed, any final thoughts uh, before we get out of here? Yeah, man. Thanks. Thanks again to to Elias for. Uh... For dropping by a great conversation check him out on bleacher nation he, he does really great work and um yeah hopefully we can uh get the stress out of your voice uh uh going forward this season uh no no bets on that but hopefully we can but yeah it's just um it, it's just tough sometimes like you you want to be you want we want to be excited to watch this team like hey they beat utah great it's just i mean man that's like a bright spot in the last like four games and then the last four games which is overall have just been sort of struggle. So maybe maybe they'll be able to take advantage of this home uh this home stretch. But um like I said in one of the past few shows, like this these first fifteen games to me will tell me everything I need to know about this team. And so far it is uh telling me exactly what I expected. And if they don't take advantage of the rest of this, then yeah, it's just 
just confirming all of that. So uh, we'll see how our beloved performs over this, and and yeah, hoping hoping for the best because <laughs> we don't we don't want to be negative, but hey. <laughs> Yes, that's all we can do. Hope for the best. But uh, yeah, that's a wrap for today's show. If you've missed any previous episodes, you can find us under the Barroom Network on all major and minor podcast platforms. Thank you again to Elias for joining us today. And thank you to the listeners for tuning in. As always, for Edward Schuler and myself. Till next time, Bulls fans. 